0: the funny thing so uh i always every time i talk about like regen i always talk about pastor kyle and like his ridiculously amazing way of preaching and how every single time he preaches i think am i saved i don't even know anymore like (laughs) i feel like i get saved every time uh but uh so if anybody's going to be judging i'm afraid of you judging my my preaching, but uh, I am very excited to be finishing off this last part of James. Uh, Pastor Kyle, he, uh, and he tells me, I'm sorry I call you pastor, but you're a pastor. So (laughs) it's just in my blood. So he was joking with me that, of course, the Pentecostal is going to be preaching about, like, prayer and healing and stuff. And uh, so since getting, I did get, I met Jesus in a Pentecostal church, and I went to ministry school in a Pentecostal church. And if you don't know what that is, it's usually there's lots of banners and flags and yelling and singing very loud and healing and people falling down. And so, like, yes, I have been a part of that community for very a long time, but also, like, I've seen a lot of amazing things that God has done in those sorts of, like, communities, uh, you know, like, seeing people just being healed and radically saved and delivered from demonic things and addictions and, like, all of those things, so very, very incredible, powerful things. Um, the power of God and, like, the things that he does in our lives is sometimes not something that I can explain, and I don't know if you've ever been through, like, one of those times when God moves so much in your life that you can't put into words words like what he's done so i would just remember like when i was journaling because when we were in ministry school you had to journal so it was like today i ate a pizza and i also drank some milk and then god did this and that was really cool and then but like there was other times when god would like do crazy things and i'd write like 15 pages just trying to explain what god was doing and it never made sense and it was always like not as cool as the moment uh but all I know is sometimes it's hard to explain what he does but but it's real. So, I have loved like going through the book of James. I think it's what I think I I think I'm the kind of person as I like grow up a little bit. I realize the kind of person more and more who I am. Like I love black and white. I love like this is right and this is wrong, black and white. I like things to make sense. I like things to be cut and dry. And I think that that's why I like James so much because he's like no nonsense, okay? He seems like the kind of person that like, if you were like in a group of people and you told a joke and you nudged James, like he'd give you a look that kind of would make you regret living because like he doesn't seem like he would like laugh at your jokes or anything, but like, that 's just kind of the way, and i don 't like that kind of a person, but I like what you know he believes in stuff so uh, but i wonder if, I wonder if James is like the way that he is so unapologetic, like if you 've been in this series, you know he does not apologize for the like the hard truths that he gives uh, in in his letter and and I think that the reason and I wonder if the reason why he is so absolutely unapologetic and so cut and dry, and so to the point, is because he, James had a real encounter with Jesus. You know, he knew Jesus his whole life. He was Jesus' half-brother. And so he saw Jesus, uh, you know, growing up and through his ministry, and all through his ministry, he still didn't believe, after all of those miracles, that Jesus was the Son of God. It was only when he saw the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his half-brother, that he began to believe that he was the Son of God. And so I think that this man who, who experienced the power of Jesus, I think the reason he is the way that he is is because he, he, he went through something that he could never go back. You know, he experienced something, and then he sensed the urgency of getting that message out to us where he saw the real deal. He saw the way to live. He saw through Jesus the way to live your life, and in that, he sensed the urgency of telling the church, this is how to be. I've seen it, I've seen it walked out, And you know James, he's probably saying, I'm trying to live through it too. So this is what it looks like. This is the package it comes in. And it's not always in the most poetic, pretty writing, but it is the truth. And so when I was reading, I was reading kind of about James and his history, and I found out some pretty cool things about him. He was actually, he was a very unusually good man. Like if you ever met somebody who's like, they are so absolutely perfect that there's no way I can, like they're pretty much like, here's Jesus. And then, like, here's this person because they're so amazing and holy. And that was kind of James. They called James, James the Just. And and they said that he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were hard and calloused because of the time that he spent in the presence of God. And so this is James. Like, I feel like if there's anybody I want to hear from, I want to hear from him because he knows the presence of God. And so um, another thing that I learned about him is that he was one of only two people who had a personal vision. From Jesus after his resurrection, and then the other one was Peter, so he saw Jesus personally visited James, and I think it was to prove listen, I was who I said I was, I am who I said I am, and so because of that, James was so changed. Um, by that encounter. So I think there's no question why he writes the way that he writes. He doesn't want to tickle people's ears like the book of Revelation. He He doesn't say things that people want to hear. He tells us those hard truths that sometimes hurt, but it's only because he knows that this will get us one step closer to Jesus and to becoming who Jesus wants us to be. So I am sad to say that having spent so much time in the Pentecostal scene, um, I still don't have that secret sauce to to making God move. Like, I, I remember, like, and I didn't know anything. When I was going to ministry school, literally didn't know, like, anything, okay? So um, whenever I would see like these, you know, you see these big-time preachers and you see that the things that they do when you see miracles happening and like I would try to do those things, okay? So I would like say the words that they would say and I would do the hand gestures that they would do and like I would like really believe and like really concentrate and I didn't like that nothing happened and then I would I would pray more I would read my bible more I would like I would like try to bribe God saying if you do this I promise I'll do this and like that's just kind of how because I could not figure out why some people have just like this ability to to see God move and 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 why I couldn't, and so still don't know. But all I do know is that God is so sovereign that he will move the way that he wants to move when he wants to move. And that all that we have to do is just to stay faithful to him and just to follow along for the ride because he's going to do um he's he has a plan and he is big enough and strong enough that he will follow through with that plan and but he wants us to be a part of that as well so it got a little frustrating to me because I'm like, well why even pray uh if if he's just going to do what he wants to do anyways so but James he continues and we'll begin to read i'm so sorry I didn't come up with any sort of a powerpoint i I'm so very sorry. I don't. Two out of three ain't bad, right? (laughs) So, so, um, but we will be in James five, starting in verse 13, on uh, you on the Bible app. uh, It will also be up. I'm going to be reading from the Message version, just because I think it 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 kind of communicates a little bit, like exactly how um, I would communicate it. And so, um, and in the Bible app, it says it starts with 15 message is weird, if you guys know the message, but it does start in 13. So he, can, he continues to be consistent in teaching that even though we might not, uh, like, we don't have the magical words to make God do something. But what he does is explain our part in the whole process of, of what God does. So, understanding that he teaches us then how to deal with things that kind of blindside us, kind of throw us off a little bit. He teaches us how to deal with those things. um, And interestingly enough, at the very end of his letter. So, um, I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. So it seems like every single day we are, we're, there's things that we just don't expect, right? I mean, that's the adventure of life. So good and bad. So some days, you know, you see uh, that a husband will be uh, given divorce papers, and, but you also see somebody will get a raise, and you'll see somebody who um, just uh, lost their job, or you see somebody who just got married, or you see somebody. So we all have these things every day that kind of, kind of throw us off a little bit, kind of uh, throw us off track. And um, every single day is a new creation, and so, try as we might to make a plan, and I know Pastor Kyle, uh, he preached on this um, a couple weeks ago. But try as we might to make a plan, it's never all that wise to make a plan because when we make a plan, what we're saying is, this is what I'm going to do. But if God decides to do something different in that day, it then reflects back to Him and causes us to doubt Him because He didn't line up with what we thought was going to happen. And so, making a plan is not always. It's good to like be like, well. I hope that I'll have money in the bank. But like I, to make a plan and to say tomorrow I am doing this and this is going to happen and I, we're going to make a lot of money and all of that. If something goes awry, it's not because God is failing you. It's because you had a plan that wasn't in line with what he planned. And so, um, when but when we live to... in, in just a way that trusts God in everything that we do, then we're never disappointed because we're only following what God is doing. And so we're never disappointed. We're following his map. We're following his compass. And if we follow that guideline, of course, we're still going to be hit with things that we don't expect. Um... The difference here is that because uh, we are following his plan, we don't get worried because we're just going with what he's doing. And so it's a very, it's it's not that you're going to stop worrying. It's not that you're going to stop having anxiety, but you have a little bit of a different perspective because you're saying, God, I know that you're leading. I know that you have a plan and I'm going with that and I trust you. And so it makes it a little bit easier to deal with those unexpected events. So our first step is not to worry. Our first step is to look to Jesus. So what James says is, are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church to pray. So here's the thing. Whenever I was writing the little blip for for the Reconnect, I was thinking about that verse because I'm thinking, I've known Jesus for 15 years, and that still is not the very first thing that I do. So like, if I'm in trouble, specifically, like, it... He says in the message, are you hurting? But in, in other versions, it says, are you in trouble? Trouble can be many different things, but when I think of trouble, I think of money. And so like, if I'm hurting financially, my first thought is, what do I have to do to get back into the black? What do I have to do to make up that money? What do I have to cut out of the budget? What do I have to give up? How much more does my husband have to work overtime so that we can make that money back? Like, that's the first thing that I think about. Uh, the, but what God is telling us, what James is telling us is not to worry but to pray which is never my first thing to do my first thing is to yell at my husband so um (laughs) So when I feel great, okay, so that's what the Bible says. If you do feel great, well, my first thought is, you know that Facebook is going to see a glam picture of Nene up there with hashtag no filter needed, but you know that it's very filtered because I don't know how to take a picture without filtering it. And with like a Katy Perry quote, because like life is so good. You know what I mean? And so that's the first thing that happens. But what James is telling us to do is he's telling us to like sing to Jesus, sing praises to Jesus, and how often do we do that? I might sing Katy Perry to Jesus. I don't even like Carrie pa- Carrie Patey. <laughs> watch, out, no, watch out, Nene. <laughs> yeah, I don't really even I don't really like her, but I feel like she has happy songs, so that's probably what I would sing, <laughs> right? I don't know. She's not very. I don't know. I'm just going to stop No. <laughs> so if you're sick, the first thing that you do, I do, is I either call the doctor or I grab my DayQuil or I get out my home remedy cookbook and figure out which essential oils I need to use, which I don't do that either, but a lot of people do, and I guess it's a good thing. But our natural bent is not to first go to God. Our first bent is to go to whatever is available to us. The difference between going to God and going to all these other things is all these other things are tangible. So like we go to the thing that we can see and touch and taste, the thing that we know is immediately going to knock us out and put us to sleep or whatever it might be. Our first idea is not to go to an invisible God that we necessarily maybe can't hear or or, or feel his presence. Our, It's not our natural bent to go to something that we cannot see. And so, first and foremost, though, James is telling us to go to the great physician in prayer. He's telling us to go first to God And here's the thing, he is is the God of our spirits and our souls and our bodies. And so I'm not saying that medicine is a bad thing. I'm not saying the doctor is a bad thing. Please, for the love, go to the doctor. But our first and foremost thing should be to go to God and say, I trust you in this. I trust that you're gonna be my healer. And if it's through medicine, that's amazing. If it's through a doctor, that's incredible. But I know that there are many sources, but there is one source. And so like, I know that though there may be of resources at my fingertips I know that God is the main source for my healing and I can trust in that so James says believing prayer will heal you and I never really knew what that meant in the beginning of me knowing the Lord because the way that I would think is if I'm praying for something and it doesn't happen that must mean that I didn't have enough faith right because that's kind of how they teach it like you you have to pray with all of your heart, and then, and then God will do A, B, and C. But in my head, that doesn't make sense. And I think in James' head, that doesn't make sense either. Because when he is talking about prayer, he's not talking about the prayer that you have to offer. He is talking about the prayer that other people have to offer you. If I am sick, or if I get a notification that I have a diagnosis of cancer, or if I just lose my job, or if my husband up one day just decides to divorce me, I am not going to be in a place, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to be at the top of my faith game. I'm going to be weak, I'm going to be very, uh, I might doubt God, I might be scared, I might be anxious, I might be all of the above. I will not be in a place where I can offer up these huge faith prayers. And I think that that's why James is putting this at the very end of the letter, because I think that he is, he is making sure that we understand the great importance that a church has in our lives. And I'll be the first to say, I'm an introvert, like I, I don't always go to people. I like to hide, you know, I like to get in my little turtle shell and, like, not talk about my problems or my issues or anything like that, but James is saying to do the exact opposite, that that connecting with people is an incredibly healing thing to do, um, and that when when we offer ourselves up to people in the church who are in leadership position, who have knowledge, who have experience, who know how to pray, then not only are we... Um, just getting it off of our shoulders, but we are then throwing ourselves into the arms, healing arms, loving arms of people who really truly care uh, about, our, about what's happening in our lives. And so he makes a huge deal about the vital role uh, a church can play in a person's life. So he continues on. He says, And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for example, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. So if there's one word that I don't really love, it's accountability. And if you know what accountability is, you probably don't love it all that much either because accountability is tough. It means that you have to be vulnerable enough to just bear yourself open to somebody, warts and all, to somebody that you trust and say, this is where I'm falling short. This is where I'm suffering. This is where I'm hurting. This is where um, I'm sinning. This is where... And, And so opening yourself up to somebody, that's what accountability is because you have to be able to expose yourself if, not, if you're not doing it to the right person, you could be exposing yourself to embarrassment and criticism and judgment and all of those ugly things. If you expose yourself to the right person, then you can expose yourself to healing. Um, and this is the kind of accountability that James is talking about when he's talking about sinning uh, and confessing to one another. Um, if there's something that you're struggling with, it is not God's intention for you to deal with it alone. It is never God's intention, as difficult as it is, for you to ever hold things inside and hope that you can deal with it on your own. Because I, for one, will tell you that you cannot, you don't have the power to deal with these things on your own. It could be a struggle and sin. It could be something from your past that was beyond your control. It could be anything that you're afraid to let out. But these things are not meant for you to hold on to by yourself alone. Because we all know we don't have that kind of power. So James explains that if we confess our sins to one another and really open up our hearts, then some things, amazing things can happen. So confessing your sin. So if you sin against somebody else, if you confess that sin and really repent of that sin, that can heal relationships that may have been torn apart for years and years and years. Instead of letting those secrets and maybe some pride hold you back from that and just keeping that, that relationship destroyed. If you sin against the church in any way, confessing that sin, it can bring you back into the fold safely. It can bring you back into a part of a community again. I know that it's hard, but it's very possible. If you struggle with that hidden personal sin, confessing it, one gets it off of your shoulders, but into the hands of a trusted and mature friend who not only will not judge you, but then will hold you accountable to that because they will then ask you the hard questions, right? You don't want to be asked the hard questions, but sometimes those hard questions are what keep you away from that sin, right? Because we don't want to admit those things. We don't want to have to tell the truth about those things, but a good accountability partner uh, can be that for you. Somebody who, without judgment, without criticism, can help you through that struggle. And confessing what you're going through means that you are not alone. You know, I can I I can look across this whole group of people and I know that that there are many people in here that I could tell you something and I know that you'll hold it close and I know that you'll help me and I know that if you're in here and you're struggling with something, finding a leader in here who you can talk to. Um, if you are that person, you know what it is that you need to do. Find somebody that you can talk to. And But there are a couple guidelines. Please do not always, ha- you don't have to tell your best friend Whitney who is going to go to somebody else and say, you would not believe what she just told me you know what I mean like you know your friends well enough to know who you should talk to and who you should not talk to um somebody who's not going to dirty air out your dirty laundry uh Please try to pick somebody who is a little bit farther along than you in their walk with Jesus, somebody with some experience in life, somebody who can give you good advice, who's a little bit higher up on the ladder uh, in their, you know, in their journey with Jesus, you know, somebody who can pull you up to where they are and encourage you and lift you up and look for somebody like that. It's only going to benefit you to find somebody in your life that can be that person for you. And it could just be one person. It could be somebody that you make a pact with saying, listen, we're going to we're going to do this together you have your issues I have my issues God knows we have our issues but we're going to work together to try to figure this out to overcome that Um, it's so important Elijah and I was kind of wondering why James would even bring up Elijah in this part it's kind of like okay yeah find somebody who's like good at praying so here's Elijah but here's something that I was thinking he was in a An amazing, a ridiculously amazing man of God. He did just like miracle after miracle after miracle for God. And yeah, like we should totally try to be like him. But here's the thing that is different between Elijah and us. Elijah didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have the Holy Spirit. So like back in those days, you would read all over the Bible that the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for like a certain amount of time so that they could do what God wanted them to do and then it would lift off and then they just go on their way. The thing about us is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he needed somebody to replace him, and so he sent the Holy Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He's within us, he's guiding us, he's telling us the right ways that we should go, the right things that we should do. We have him constantly at our disposal, whereas Elijah didn't have that. Another thing that he didn't have was the saving knowledge of Jesus. He had the law, and he had his love for the Father, for Yahweh, but he didn't, did not have that saving, healing, dynamic power of Jesus in his life. So here's what I'm thinking. This is why I think that James was bringing it up. Is he's saying if Elijah was as incredible as he was in his prayer life, and allow and God working through him in such a powerful way, and he didn't even have the Holy Spirit or Jesus. Imagine what we can do now that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus inside of us, and having somebody with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus praying for us in our moment of need. That's incredible. That's incredible. It gives me so much confidence that when somebody prays for me, God is hearing them, that God is working on my behalf, and he's listening, and he's working, and he has a plan. Like, it's, it brings me a lot of comfort to know that. And so I think that that's why he brought up Elijah in the first place, because God's given us even more today where we are Today So there is so much healing to be found through church leaders and through prayer warriors and prayer partners. There's so much. use it to your advantage if you're struggling with something. And so now uh, James kind of moves then on to talking about the responsibility of the church. He goes from talking to, he's addressing people who are in sin, he's addressing people who are struggling, but now he's kind of moving over and he's talking to leaders in the church, people who are overseeing that, that church and those people. If we are to interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus, we have to know how to minister to them. We have to know how to treat them. You, and I know that this is going to blow your mind, but you guys are like the leaders of Regen. A year down the road, there's going to be people, brand new people walking through these doors, and they're going to be looking for people with familiar faces, with people who look like they know what they're doing. And so it might be a little bit of a scary thought, but like this right here, this is the future of Regen. And so if they're looking for, if they have no idea who Jesus is, they're looking for you guys to set the example for them, right? And so as the church continues to grow, They're looking for examples. People are going to walk through the doors. They're not going to have any idea who Jesus is to them, but they will immediately fall in love with Jesus. And they're going to begin to fall in love with his plan and his purpose for their life. They're going to follow him with all of their hearts. But then some of them are going to wander away. It's the fact of life. We all get pulled in different directions. We all lose focus. And so some people will wander. Some people will walk away. And this is how James sums up the entire uh, letter. He says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. So here's the good news. It does not matter if you just decided yesterday to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for... 20 years, it doesn't matter if you've known him all of your life, here's the responsibility that God places on us. We know we will be able to recognize when people begin to walk away from Jesus. We'll be able to recognize that their eyes are wandering away from the plan and the purpose that God has for them. And James is saying it is our responsibility to love them back to Jesus, and not to judge them, not to criticize them. Listen, I know my own mistakes. I know my shortcomings. I know where I'm doing it wrong. I know my problems. I don't need somebody else telling me what my problem is. What I do need is I need somebody in my life to remind me about a God who loves me with all of his heart. I need a a person in my life who's going to remind me about the plan and the purpose that God has for me. That they're good and that they're not going to cause me harm, but he has good plans for us. And so we have a responsibility to those people who have met Jesus who begin to wander to say listen I'll help you through this it's not always easy I've been there I know where you're at and I'm on the other side of it and I can tell you how to get there too it is our responsibility and I do believe that we will answer to God for letting people walk away like it's our responsibility if it's nobody else's to tell them about God who loves them so much So James sums up his letter. He is explaining this need that we have for relationships. Even Jesus. Here's the thing. The only time that Jesus was truly alone was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted. He was allowed by God to be tempted by the devil. He was tired. He was alone. He was thirsty. He was hungry. And it was in those moments that he was tempted. And so it makes sense to me that when we are completely alone... That is when the enemy is going to try to steal us away. And he's going to try to divert us and he's going to try to distract us when we're alone and when we're tired and exhausted and hungry and thirsty. And so I feel like it's our responsibility as people of God to surround each other with love and with, um, to honestly, I mean, Food heals a lot of things, right? I'm not like like I feel like yeah, I feel like uh people in the in the Bible were so into eating meals together and feeding each other and taking care of each other. But I think it's for a reason, because it heals, like that love heals people. And so when I was thinking about this, and I was just thinking about, you know, I am a little bit of a hermit sometimes, but I do remember when I first had Ollie, he's my little one, uh, I had just like, I just had a C-section, which was ridiculously horrible. And, And so I'm like trying to recover, but Ollie had jaundice and so they shipped us immediately over to Akron Children's Hospital, and so I'm trying to recover, can't even barely stand up, and uh, so they take us over there. They strap him down to a bed, and they're they're pricking his hands with needles, trying to get an IV into his hand. For a half hour, he's screaming and screaming and screaming, and they can't get it, and they finally get it after a while, and listen, if you have had a baby, you know that your hormones are just like what you are a train wreck. You are a train running into a train into another train. So like, and so here I am just bawling my eye, like bawling my eyes out because there's nothing I can do. I just have to stand there and watch it happen. They kept asking if I needed to leave and I'm like, no. So, um, so they finally take him up to his room He's not allowed to wear clothes. He can only wear a diaper. And he's laying in this bed, and I'm not allowed to touch him. And so he, he's under this light, and he has these goggles on that they're not even goggles. They're just, like, styrofoam. So he can't see anything. And he's underneath this light for, like, 23 and a half hours a day. And the only time that I can hold him is to feed him. And so I took very good advantage of that. Like, he's not done. Like But... So, so it was devastating to me. Like it was, it was seriously one of the hardest times of my life because my husband had to go home. He had to start working again. We were in there for a week. I, I missed my older kid like a lot, and he, I hadn't seen him yet. And so, I have never. I don't think I ever stopped crying for like four days straight. Just like so alone. But I just remember uh, my. Oh, and then another thing is they were. They kept pricking his foot. But it wasn't with a needle. It was like with a blade so that they could get enough blood to draw. But it was terrible. It was absolutely, and this was every four hours, and they'd wake them up from a dead sleep. So here I am, just like a horrible mess. I looked like death. I felt like death. And so my friend Sam, though, she she came uh, just out of the blue one day, and, like, she spent the whole night with me, and she brought me food, and she let me take a shower, and she let me do my hair and my makeup, and she just you know, she just was there in that moment, and I realized, first of all, I never have been so alone in my life. But the other thing that I learned was that I so desperately needed that. I so desperately needed a friend. And I know, like, you guys, we all have our struggles, and that's something that Kyle says, we're all struggling, like, in different areas. But I can't tell you how much that meant. Just to be able to just take a breath and to laugh. I think it meant so much, like four, wait, two years later, he's only two, he's not four, please, Lord, not yet. But it was, like, it, was, it was so healing. It was so incredibly healing and just being able to take that breather. You don't know the kind of impact that you're gonna have on somebody else just by being there. And I think that that's what James was saying. Like, It is so important as a community, as a church, to pray for one another, to be there for one another, because you never know the kind of struggle that somebody else is going through. And just by holding somebody's hand or patting them on the back or saying, I'm going to pray for you, that is so powerful. And so I think that that's why James finished it off the way that he finished it off, because, you know, he gives through four chapters, he's talking about. This is the way to live. This is what you're doing wrong. This is how you can make it right. This is what you're doing wrong. This is how you can make it right. But when it all is summed up, we cannot successfully live for Jesus without one another. We cannot fulfill the purpose that he has for us as a church, as individuals, as married couples, as whatever it is. We cannot fulfill our purpose here on earth without each other. It's impossible. And so I encourage you as we can just continue on, and I know I'm going a little bit over I'm sorry, but um, as we continue on in the service and you're and you're considering you know. How in the world can I get a step closer to Jesus? My encouragement to you would just be, if you are hurting, to, to find somebody that you can be true with and real with and honest with and just find a little bit of healing by confessing those things and talking about those things. It's not as scary as it sounds. But if you are in a good place with the Lord, to find somebody who you can pour into finding somebody that you can you can encourage and lift up and 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 help them along in their journey because there's always somebody who's a little bit farther along in their journey than you And there's always somebody below you who you can help and encourage and bring along for the ride. So that's my encouragement to you. Um, I just want to pray really quick, and then I'll I'll hand it back over to, to Kyle. But God, thank you so much for just this group of people, God. Thank you for what you're doing in regeneration with these friendships and these connections and these relationships. God, they mean so much to you. They, they are so powerful, God, and where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of us. So I thank you, God, for every single person who's here who um, is just trying to figure out their place in this world and their place in these relationships, and most importantly, their place in your kingdom. So God, I thank you so much that you are, you are leading us closer to one another. You're leading us closer to you. God, so that we can make the best impact on on this area, God, and on your kingdom. God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you so much for the privilege it is to serve you. We love you, Lord. Amen.